Welcome to Simplify. I'm Benjamin Stoller. And I'm Emily Delora. What's up, Emily? Hello. You're not Caitlin. No, no, I'm not. I've replaced her for today. I hope that's all right. (laughs) It's definitely all right. Caitlin's out doing fancy stuff in Paris. She's allowed to for like one week. Tell the folks at home who you are. I mean, you're here for a reason. Yes, yes, I am here for a reason. Um, Hopefully good ones for everyone. But hello. Like I said, I'm Emily Delora. I do work for Blinkist, but on the business to business side of the business. Could I say business one more time? (laughs) Um, I work in marketing, but most of all, the reason this is exciting for me to be here is I run our webinars. So I often speak to people in the Blinkist realm. So I'm super excited to be here today. And you're an expert on these exactly a topic like this one, which is about remote work today. And I mean, to be totally honest, Caitlin and I have been trying to figure out how to get you on Simplify for months. So let's get into this episode. Can you tell us a little bit about the guest today and what people should look out for in the interview? Yes. So we have a remote expert on today, Gustavo Rossetti, or if you're Italian, Rossetti. Nice. Um, And he is here to talk about remote work. What does that look like? Does it bring any kind of psychological safety or the opposite? And just kind of really diving into the topic. I found this super interesting. I've been remote for four years, so I really appreciate Gustavo's advice. Yeah, we should probably tell people I'm in Berlin, Germany. You're in New New Jersey. Jersey. It doesn't get more remote than that. So what's one thing people should look out for in this interview? So for me, I thought it was really interesting um, to hear Gustavo's take on psychological safety. It was a little different than what I'm used to hearing, but really appreciated it. So I would say definitely look out for that. Let's just roll the tape and we'll be back with a bit more deep diving and then we'll recommend some books. Totally. We'll see you then. Hi, Gustavo. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Caitlin. Nice to be here. Very excited. Me too. We are both, we're recording remotely today, which um, remote is a word that listeners are going to hear a lot in the next half an hour. And there's a good reason for that. You are something of an expert in the area of remote work, but you're many other things too, and you do a lot of things. So I'd love it if you could introduce yourself the way that you like to be introduced. Absolutely. So I would say that to your point, I'm a curious person. At work, I run a culture design consultancy. So we help teams and organizations improve their work culture. And also I'm an author, so I publish four books, but I'm writing articles every week to share my experience, my insights. And I think that I approach that with the same style that I do with one of the things I love a lot, which is cooking. So one of the things I always tell people is I cook recipes from all over the world. And also I like to, when I open the fridge and see what's there and try to create a recipe out of what I have. So that's exactly a good metaphor how I approach company culture. I work with what the team has and I help them turn that into something great, hopefully. I love that. That is a wonderful metaphor. It really appeals to me. I often say that I I understand the world through food and cooking. (laughs) So we're very much alike in that way. And I think it's a really great way to think about coming into a team as a consultant. So in 2022, you wrote Remote, Not Distant. And this is more than a book. I'd say it's a manual. It's full of good exercises and visuals. It's full of useful stuff. But the first third of the book really is all about culture and how important it is and designing what you call the anywhere, anytime culture. What does that mean for people who are just listening now, just tuning in, have never read the book? What is an anywhere, anytime culture? It's basically about flexibility. 
it's about designing the work experience around the work and not around a fixed schedule. So if we need to understand history a little bit about what happened with the workplace. Everyone must have heard the nine to five expression and even the organizations work eight to five or eight to seven or nine, whatever that is. It's a structured way to mm -hmm. define how everyone is expected to work. And that was created at some point because there were people that were working endless hours and companies were taking advantage. So the government here in the US decided to structure that stuff. Part of that process was eliminating one day and, and defining what the weekend was because in the past, a hundred years, and that's not too long ago, we didn't have the idea of Saturday and Sundays as a weekend. So that formalization provides a structure in which the implication is we all need to show up to our workplace within a same structure and we all need to work in real time. Now, an anywhere in time culture addresses not only the office versus remote, which is where most of the conversation, unfortunately, is focusing today, but the most critical part is the anytime, allowing people the flexibility to decide when they work. And this has two implications. One, at an individual level, like if I have children that I have to take care of or I want to take them to school or prepare their breakfast, spend time with them in the morning, whatever that is, that I can start my work time later in the day. Uh, me, Gustavo, I like to work late at night. It's where I get that calmness to write, to maybe think about a client proposal. So that reality is what we're talking about. On their hand, it requires common ground in which not only people have their preferences, but the team has to find that how they at any time also works for them. So create some shared moments in which everyone's going to be available to collaborate, to make decisions, to work together. It sounds complicated and it sounds like it's very, it requires probably a lot of negotiation. I've heard a lot lately that companies are now, quote, post-pandemic, even though, you know, COVID is revisiting us as we speak, companies are asking their employees to come back to the office. Amazon issued a warning to staff not long ago that they need to spend at least three days a week in the office and, and Meta wants their workers to do the same thing. And ironically, working from home has been officially replaced by a return to the office by Zoom of all offices. Why do you think this is happening? What's behind this? I think that's important to, because the words take us to different implications and insights. A Zoom is not asking people back to the office, right? It basically formalizing a hybrid format. When we say back to the office, people think, ah, everyone's going to be full time in the office. And hybrid is a combination of both. So it's not either remote or either uh, presence. It's a combination. However, to your point, many companies are adopting this mix between some fixed days at the office, some fixed days from home, because they feel that in that way they're finding some kind of compromise that's going to achieve their goals, but also please people. However, that's not necessarily effective. You mentioned the word complicated. I would say it's more complex than complicated. It's hard to get it, but it's not so difficult to implement it. And so many companies prefer, rather than going through the learning experience, to once again create what's the new nine to five, which is you're going to work three days here. And the point is, we really crossed that line. The train already departed, left the station, so there's no way back. And companies can push back, but if they don't realize that people already have shown during the pandemic that they can do a great work, 
why go back to a structure that never served us? Yeah, absolutely. So then if there are companies out there, and I'm sure there are right now thinking about, all right, so we want to have a healthier hybrid work culture, or we want to make remote work feel even better for us. You have five steps that they need to take to get through there. And these five steps, reset your culture, reimagine a shared future, reignite belonging, rethink collaboration, and release agility. Where do you find that organizations struggle the most? I would say that first, the step that most companies miss I don't know if they struggle, but maybe they, they don't think about it or they don't put enough time or effort is the reflection. So the resetting their culture, you know, that leaders tend to jump too quickly into the solution mode. So what's the new solution? What's the new model without having spent the right time reflecting on to what's working, what's not? It might sound basic, but if we skip that stuff, then we're going to make decisions. And I think the other side in which they struggle in this case a lot, it's collaboration. We are still stuck into this idea that collaboration means always being collaborating with people. And we are facing what many experts and myself call the collaboration fatigue, right? We're forcing people not only to collaborate with their direct team, but with the shareholders, with other cross-functional teams. So you need to understand when it makes sense to collaborate and when want people to do things on their own and give them autonomy. So companies that are agile, that are aggressive and competitive, that move fast, realize that you cannot always collaborate. Sometimes people need to work on their own, make decisions on their own and implement things on their own. I like that. That's a controversial take. <laughs> but there's a lot of research, not only the, the research I did for my book, interviewing lots of executives, but also a, a research from experts and a, academic in, that shows a, basically that's the case, right? There's a collaboration fatigue because once again, we move from a rigid model into which people didn't collaborate, organizations were really top down, and now people want to be very nice, very collaborative, very inclusive, and we've gone to the extreme. I mean, why do we have so many meetings? Why do we have so many people in meetings? Just to feel that we're including everyone, because we have to collaborate, but then the meetings suffer because a meeting that has more than five, seven people, it's always going to be unproductive. Interesting. Yeah. And I imagine it's a challenge to strike that balance and that it might be kind of interesting to move into the five key mindset shifts that you describe. And the first one is intentional culture design. And that means involving employees in decision making and being open to experimentation to create their workplace culture. So what could that look like, intentional culture design? Yeah. The point is, when we use the word design, many people struggle or actually get mad at me because it's no, you cannot design culture. And I think that what people get wrong is design doesn't mean like you put people in a box that you're imposing or creating an artificial culture. I use the metaphor of the Zen a Japanese garden designers. They design the garden when it comes to the plants, the water, the rocks, the trees, everything that has to do with the nature aspect. But the human aspect, how people are going to enjoy the park, they don't. They let people roam around the park for a few days, weeks. And what they say, what are the paths that people tend to use the most? Those are the ones that are paved or officially turned into paths. So that combination between having some parameters, but also allowing people to design their path, that's what we use to design company cultures. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's a nice metaphor. I think that looking at these mindset shifts, 
I really, really like the second one. It really rang true for me when I read it. And that one is impact over input, measure employee performance based on results achieved rather than hours worked. Could you talk a little bit about that one and how it fits into those five mindset shifts and why you think it's important? Definitely. Many companies are still into this mindset that never be the last to arrive, neither the first to leave the office. And associating that if you put too many, a lot of hours, if you're available for calls at night, if you're sending emails uh, during the weekends, oh, you're a hardworking employee. So they're promoting a culture of presentism. And now we see that in the hybrid world, people are putting almost one hour per day to show, hey, I'm working because people don't trust each other. And that's not just to signaling that they're busy to their managers. That's also because their colleagues don't trust each other. So that's not good. So we need to redefine uh, the amount of work that I do, the amount of hours that I work doesn't mean that I'm an effective a professional. What cares is what I'm delivering. That's what we should be focusing on. I completely agree with that. You said something a moment ago, and you've mentioned the word a couple of times now, and it was trust. And I think you also said psychological safety. When I was preparing to talk with you, I saw uh, a little LinkedIn video that you did about sort of myth-busting the term of psychological safety, and I thought it was so smart. Could you talk a little bit about what psychological safety is and isn't? Absolutely. Um, First of all, uh, you mentioned trust. Building a strong uh, team requires both building trusting relationship between each team member and then psychological safety that is kind of collective trust. So it's the feeling that my team is safe for me to take interpersonal risks. So I can bring my full self to work. I can ask for help. I can ask questions in the open, share my ideas. Uh, the video that you're mentioning, it's about the what I call the psychological safety bubble, which is we, once again, have gone from an extreme that companies were really unsafe to now being overly protective. So I mentioned that the definition is we need to feel safe to take risks. So they are getting stuck into the feeling safe. Without the risk part, there's no growth. If you go to school, you expect, or even college, you expect professors or teachers to push back, to challenge you, because that uncomfortable experience is what is going to make you learn and grow, right? And I think that in the workplace, many leaders are now too much into protecting people, making sure no one gets upset, no one has conflict, and they're avoiding conversations So they're promoting a safe space, but also groupthink and mediocrity. Really, really interesting. And thanks for going through that. I thought it was a really original viewpoint on the subject. This third one of the five key mindset shifts is blur work-life boundaries. That to me sounds like a recipe for burnout. What does it mean to you? Yeah, for me, it's like we've been struggling for many decades talking about this idea of work-life balance. And many people approach balance like something static and trying to create a wall between our personal and our work life. And not only every attempt to do that has failed, but actually it's making people more frustrated and more stressed out and burned out, right? First, balance in every aspect of life and and in sports, whatever, it requires movement. For you to find balance, you need to shift things, you need to find uh, the right uh, movement, so to speak, to make sure things don't fall. But most important, I think that we need to understand that we're one single human being. I mean, our personal experiences give us insights that we can apply to work. 
And our work experiences can also make us better person. We can apply learnings at work into our personal life. So rather than try to create a barrier between one and the other, we need to integrate them the same way that the pandemic started to allow us to discuss, hey, I have issues with my kids. I have to stay at home. One of my things that in the past were more like taboo, they were felt like unprofessional to bring those issues. Today, we made it more uh, okay to discuss those. Yeah, it's interesting. For all the people I've been talking to for Simplify in the past few interviews I've done, I've been noticing that there's this underlying idea about balance and that balance is not a steady state. Balance is a constant renegotiation. It's a attacking against the wind. It's moving a little bit. It's it's moving to both sides. And it sounds like that's what you're describing too. Yeah, I can give you an example. In a few days, luckily I'm going with my wife scuba diving and we're going to go in a place that for almost two weeks, we're going to be off the grid, almost no internet, no communication, etc. So that means, for example, I write and I publish an article every week. So I'm writing like a seven, eight articles ahead. I'm investing more hours on my work. So then when I have my vacation, I can really relax. So that's kind of the balance. And to your point, it's a trade-off and we're constantly negotiating with ourselves or others. That's a great example. Exactly. Yeah. So then wrapping up our, our five key mindset shifts to thrive in a hybrid workplace, we've got four, which is asynchronous collaboration. And I feel like it kind of ties in with the blur work-life boundaries, because here you're talking about recognizing that employees work on their own schedules and you need to encourage collaboration without synced schedules. Absolutely. Um, And one thing that's important when we talk about async first, uh, once again, we like to think in binary terms, black and white in the workplace. So in the past, people were into, no, everything needs to happen synchronously or real time. And now many remote experts say, no, we all need, everything needs to happen in a synchronous mode. And I think it's not one or the other, it's finding the right mix. And that's completely different and varies from job to job, team to team, company to company. So synchronous provides speed and connection. If you need to do something fast, there's an emergency, it's better to get into a call or a meeting uh, and solve it rather than send an email and wait for people to take care of that. However, if you're looking to your point, you were saying that you like a more relaxed, calm environment, more reflective, asynchronous is the way to go. For things that is solo work, deep work, we should work at our own pace. For non-urgent things, the same. Even for decision-making, there's research that shows that it's more effective to do it not in real time, but asynchronous. So each person has their time to reflect. Some people get into a meeting, they are forced to make a decision and probably they they need to process information. That's fine. What's the model that works best for you? What's the right combination between synchronous and asynchronous collaboration? Yep. That makes a lot of sense. I can think of teammates I have who really thrive in a synchronous environment and then others like me who thrive in asynchronous, like don't come to me and, and expect me to have a solution to a really complex problem and to jam it out in a 30-minute session with a Miro board. It, nothing will happen. <laughs> I need a, a little bit of time to, to think about it and then come back and jam out the ideas. Good. So then the last one, this last of the, of the five key mindset shifts is team empowerment. It involves fostering trust and engagement. What would you say about team empowerment? What are some of the most important components there? Yeah, the last part is about uh, basically giving people autonomy to make their own calls. 
rather than having a company or their manager defining how the work should happen, let the people define how they want to work. Make them accountable. No? With freedom comes accountability. So if you allow people as a team to design how they want to work together, they're going to have more ownership into achieving the work. When people are told how to do things, then that doesn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, then that wraps up the five there. I wanted to ask you a little bit about actually building and maintaining work relationships in a hybrid environment. What are some ways that leaders or a people team in an organization, how can they create space for social connections that improve professional work to thrive? Absolutely. One thing is from a manager's standpoint, it's a role to stay connected, right? I think that first leaders need to let people share how they're doing, how they're feeling, what's going on at a personal level. So giving them a space for them to share whatever they want to. And then how can you support them? So how can I help you? What are the speed bumps that are getting in the way and how can I support you? That's kind of the approach. At a team level, a team needs to design activities. Some teams uh, on their weekly meetings start with a little bit of a icebreaker or checking, something that allows people to reconnect. I mean, we use a, an exercise, which is what was the weather like for you last week? So was it rainy, stormy, sunny? So using the weather as a metaphor to express how you feel and people can go as deep as they want. So people who don't want to talk about their emotions, they use the weather as a metaphor and people get it that they're struggling or they're happy because their work day has been very sunny. Mm. Um, creating team activities. So investing in that uh, glue that brings people together, that some people feel it's a waste of time, but we know that trust it's a personal thing, so it's not professional. Yeah, we trust people that they know how to do their job, but the most critical element that helps build trust is that we know our colleagues, individuals uh, as persons, but also that we know that when we're not present, that they're going to uh, have their, our backs. And for that, we need to create that emotional connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Thank you. Then, Gustavo, a, a tiny thought experiment here. What are your dreams regarding how the future of work will look? What do you think is the best case scenario and, and the worst case scenario for how hybrid work could look? That's a good question. Uh, I think that what I see is that we find a balance between uh, what it's good for companies and what's good for people. And I feel that companies have become more human in the way that people were treated in factories in the Industrial Revolution in the 19th century. And now, right? So we need to be optimistic. However, still organizations keep treating people as resources. So I hate the term human resources, right? It's like, a, no, people are not resources. <laughs> and I think in that regards, there's still a long way to go. So I'm hopeful that we're going to continue to push back and create those conversations and decisions and systems that are going to create a more humane kind of a workplace. The worst that can happen is that now with the acceleration of AI, a lot of companies are thinking in a transactional way. So how can I replace people with technology rather than how can I understand that technology is another team member, right? And rather than replace people, it's an addition. And how can we collaborate with technology the same way we collaborate with humans? And which task can we delegate to technology which ones we're going to share and which tasks should be mainly um, 
driven by human beings. And in that sense, it's our elevating. I think that throughout the history of work, we have seen machines replacing human beings, but human beings were elevating their abilities to do more uh, mindful, uh, interesting work. And that's what's hopefully continued to happen. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Gustavo, if there were one thing that you would love people to understand better about creating a healthy hybrid work culture, what is that thing? I think you mentioned the word experiment. And the most important thing I always uh, tell my clients is don't try to copy what other people are doing. So a lot of people, mm -hmm. leaders follow the media and whatever Elon Musk or whoever says they're going to do, everyone says, oh, we're going to do that. And first of all, the people that are in the media are not usually the smartest kind of leaders. And second, each organization is different. So try to find your way rather than copy someone else's way. Most importantly, you have to involve people. Involving people doesn't mean that you're basically telling you're going to do whatever people want. It's about finding a balance between integrating your expectations with people's expectations and find some common ground. Not the lowest common denominator, but understanding what are the expectations in terms of what they want, but why they want it. So when people say, I want flexibility, okay, I need to understand why. How is that going to help the company? And when you're saying that the company's culture is eroding, you cannot just say, hey, it's just a gut feeling. You need to explain people why. I mean, you mentioned Amazon, the leader from Prime Video, a few weeks ago sent a message to the people that I want everyone back. And he said, I don't have data to show that it's better, but I'm convinced it is. So come on. So you cannot lead a company like that. You know, it's like people are going to do anything but respect you and trust mm, you. Wonderful. Gustavo, thanks so much for joining me today. It was really insightful and uh, I appreciate all of your wisdom. Absolutely. Thank you, Caitlin, for hosting me and everyone else for listening. I always am very excited about sharing and most importantly, not uh, solutions, but inspiring people to think and challenge how they're doing things so they can improve their culture. Welcome to the bookend, where we end with books and also a chat about remote work. I'm really curious to hear from you why this is so important for companies today, besides the like maybe most obvious, which is that a lot of people are working remote now. Well, even as Gustavo said, there's kind of this mix right now of some people are staying remote, some are going hybrid, some are being forced fully back, like you mentioned with Amazon. And finding that balance is really hard right now. And I speak to a ton of L&D professionals. So L&D, learning and development, kind of that HR people realm and they're all really struggling with it too, like bringing training to both ways and trying to navigate that idea of always being busy is really difficult. I mean, I think we even feel that here at Blinkist. Yeah. So looking at that impact over input, I think that's super important of what Gustavo was talking about. We still struggle as a society, I think, to get rid of that idea that busy is a good thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> No, seriously, though, like, we're like, oh, I'm so busy. Like, right. wow, you must be working really hard. But maybe you're actually just overworked. It reminds me a little bit of that uh, conversation about sleep that like when Ariana Huffington's book came out. And now everyone's like, don't brag about not getting any sleep. It might mean that you don't have any good ideas today. Like, yeah. Don't, you know, everyone's like, I don't sleep at all. I work way harder. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know? like work-life balance is important. Let's find time to be human. You know, you're not going to do anything if you don't have your Maslow hierarchy of needs figured out. I mean, you've, you are remote. You are very hybrid. 
what do you, how do you manage that? Do you have any habits or specific guardrails or things that you do to work from home all the time, but then be hybrid? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I am far from the perfect example. I mean, I still get caught up in emails. I work marketing events where all the lines get blurred, where everyone has your cell phone number. But I make a point every single day to take an hour at lunchtime and leave my desk, leave the apartment and just go for a walk and like, don't look at my phone the entire time. And that's kind of my way of recharging midday. I know that like in the morning, I'll get the most done. In the afternoon, I won't. So I really try to take that time and kind of make it a non-negotiable. I think that's something I've found really useful so far. And then also kind of what Gustavo was saying about over-collaboration. I mean, I think the amount of times I've heard people say, like, we we need a meeting for our meetings because there's just so many kind of finding that balance of, well, does that need to be a meeting? Sometimes it's kind of, I don't know, blunt, for lack of a better way of putting it. But sometimes you do have to say like, oh, well, maybe we can just discuss this over Slack. Right. I liked when he said in the interview, uh, this phrase, collaboration fatigue. Mm-hmm. I wrote the note, build that muscle. It's actually still very new, collaborating in a hybrid way with all this new tech. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of people weren't comfortable using Zoom until 2019, until COVID. Yeah. And even when a lot of people worked remote, whatever that meant to them, mm-hmm. there's a much different style. And I think especially in the tech space, it's very complicated to work with tech teams and various roles in tech teams and marketing teams that are all over the world. I don't think we've mastered it. I don't no. think we're more productive. <laughs> no, I don't think so at all. I think we have a lot to learn. Email's 20 years old and it took 20 years or more, it took 30 years to figure out how to actually get the productivity benefits of the Ford production system. Well, even on top of that, take the fact that it takes 20 years and add that to our non-existent attention spans. <laughs> right. <laughs> like yeah, we're, we're just not in a good place. It's not going to go well. What did you, you said in the intro of this episode, the psychological safety culture shift was what sort of stuck out to you? What What did you find interesting about that? Yeah, so I just thought it was interesting to kind of look at it, as Gustavo said, the bubble, like a psychological safety bubble. I mean, I hear this a lot, right? So I'm, full disclosure, I'm a Gen Z millennial, like right on the cusp there. I identify more with Gen Z. And a lot of the times, like we're the overly sensitive type, right? So, Mm. you know, oh, well, we have to be super nice. That's what everyone thinks. You, You have to be so nice to us or we just like fall apart. But I think what he said about, We can't be too nice and finding that in between of, oh, you know, psychological safety. Yes, it's important, but sometimes we're a little too protective and we're not willing to push each other. You know, like there's a difference between being safe and then not pushing each other to actually grow. You know, like if your parents or guardian or whomever it was that helped raise you didn't push you out of your comfort zone, would you have gotten anywhere? Right. So kind of looking at psychological safety and finding that balance, I don't think I've really heard anyone talk about that. We're also worried about making people comfortable, which is so important, of course. But are we then kind of negating that moment of pushing back and making people a little uncomfortable, not to the point of being, you know, like unsafe, but I think that's a bubble that does need to pop a bit. Yeah. And book recommendations. Let's do some uh, inspirational book recommending. What do you got? I got a book called The Long Distance Teammate. 
stay engaged and connected while working anywhere. You can see the obvious connection to today's topic. And that's written by Kevin Alkenberry and Wayne Termal. And this book was also written after slash during COVID. And it was recommended by Ben Hughes in the Ben Hughes Guide, which you can find in the Blinkist app. And Ben Hughes was my boss for a long time. And he worked from Helsinki, Finland. Um, And he pulled out this book. And I think one of the things that he liked about it and talks about in the guide, and one thing that I like about it is this idea of being proactive. I think that successful remote workers like yourself, Emily, are people that (laughs) take the first step, people that don't wait for someone to reach out to them, but they might hear something and they'd be like, hey, Ben, I caught wind of this project. Is there something here I can help with? Or, hey, here are my notes for this idea. Do you want to get on a call and jam on this? But like a proactive thing. Otherwise, I think, and they talk about it in this book a lot, you can get in this sort of reactive, slightly worried, feeling left out kind of remote rhythm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what makes me always feel better is just proactive. Hey, how's your week? What's the one thing you're working on today that you're really excited about? How can I help? You know, just these kind of like lean in questions is what I want to recommend from the long distance teammate. What do you got? So the first one is one that I always recommend to leaders um, or anyone running a company, et cetera, or really, I mean, anyone, I've read it. So The Fearless Organization by Amy C. Edmondson is one that I've put on so many collections, et cetera. Um, yeah. Surprisingly, it uh, is all about psychological safety in the workplace for pretty much anyone and anything. It speaks about holding back on sharing ideas at work, why we do this, how we can harm businesses, how leaders can encourage the openness that we kind of need in order to feel psychologically safe. She, the author, she's Amy Edmondson's the one who actually coined that term, right? Correct. Yeah, she's been doing it for like 20 years, I think. So you can trust her words. And the second one, which is one that I personally really enjoy, especially, and would recommend to literally anyone, is Out of Office by Charlie Warzel and Anne Helen Peterson. And this one is, I mean, the name kind of says it. It's about working from home and the bigger questions at play there with work culture and remote culture in general and what that can kind of look like moving forward to be more meaningful. Um, and by that, I mean kind of diving into everything from How do you balance your actual life while you're home and making those disconnects where you need to? But I think it's just a really good one, to be honest, um, for anyone, but especially for us remote workers. Cool. All right. We got three books today. Thank you so, so much, Emily, for filling in. I have a feeling, call it a gut intuition, you're going to be on this podcast experience a lot more. I hope. And I really appreciate it and your expertise and your book, Rex, and the idea of going for a walk once a day. Yeah, highly recommend. Get yourself some sunshine, you know, vitamin D. But thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, While I miss Caitlin, I'm happy to fill in where needed. Is there anywhere people should follow you or look you up or? Um, I have a LinkedIn. You can find me there. My name is D-I-L-A-U-R-A for my last name, Delora. Everyone messes that up. But yeah, you can find me there. Or if you come to a webinar, come to a a Blinkist webinar, uh, you'll get a notification in the app when they are out and about. Or, you know, check out the Blinkist for Business blog. That's all uh, me and my team as well. But yeah, you can find me on any of those. Nice. Uh, Simplify was produced by me, Ben Schumann-Solar, Caitlin Schiller, who's still around and did the interview. What's up, France? 
Emily Delora, who rocks. We already talked about that. A team of audio masters, including Stefan and Ben Jackson and whoever else is going to work on the end of this. And we also, of course, want to say thank you to Maria Lovacic, who um, says her last name is impossible for non-Slavic speakers to pronounce. <laughs> and we are all over Blinkist using Blinkist Studio. And you can get 14 days free of Blinkist if you go to Blinkist.com, find the voucher code and put in the code remote work all one word and you'll get 14 days free so do that blinkist.com slash friends and otherwise thank you so much simplify listeners for bearing through all this without caitlin and see you around bye see ya